and welcome back to another episode of Open Mind Self-Care Sessions with me, Frankie Bridge. Today's episode is around coming out of lockdown fears, which obviously I think is something that we're all going to be worried about. So I'm now joined by psychologist and author Joshua Fletcher. Hi, Joshua. Hi, Frankie. Thanks for having me on. (laughs) This was one of the subjects when I started self-care sessions that I felt was going to be the most relevant and most important because I feel like there's so many fears about coming out of lockdown. Have you noticed that with your patients? Oh, massively so. The whole country's anxiety levels have gone up a few notches. And if you're someone who already struggles with anxiety, which a lot of people already do, being put in lockdown and the pandemic really exacerbates that problem. But overall, the general shift is that everyone's gone up a little bit and people Mm. are feeling the effects of that. I think we all feel like, you know, lockdown was supposed to be the stressful part and coming out of it, I think there's this big fear of pressure Like I know quite a few people said to me when I asked for questions for this podcast, they said, I'm I'm actually really nervous that everyone's really happy about coming out of lockdown, but I don't feel like that myself. It's a good point. I mean, I specialize in anxiety and I've had anxiety in the past, serious anxiety, um, agoraphobia, panic attacks, etc. And what happens is you've got to remember over the last year, uh, threat response, which is basically anxiety in a nutshell. It's our brain's threat response. It's been conditioned to tell us that we've got to stay inside. People outside are dangerous, quite literally, if they're carrying a virus. Our normal routines are dangerous. We've got to become hermits and stay inside because to protect others, protect us. And that's kind of been conditioned into us for a year, whether it's through the news, social media, through your friends, through knowing people have got it. And your threat response, and there's a part of your brain called the amygdala, which is your lizard brain, which I could talk about later. We're all lizards, Frankie. We're all lizards. Okay. This is news to me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's not just Mancunians. We we are all lizards. And And, uh, our lizard brain listens to threat. So this is why perhaps, you know, if anyone's ever been bitten by a dog, you're really afraid of dogs for a while. You know, like, ooh, if you've ever been in a car accident, you're really scared to get in a car again. You know, if you've ever watched a scary movie, you're always on edge to watch another scary movie. This is the amygdala, and it's remembering all of this information. And so for the last year, the amygdala's been watching the news with you. It's been scrolling your social media with you. It has been listening and watching your scary thoughts with you. And, yeah, so going back to normal, you're okay. Your normal mind's excited, though your calm mind. But your amygdala's going, whoa, whoa, are you sure Mm. this is okay? And what I say to people is that that is completely normal. That is fine. That's actually a really interesting way to look at it because I've felt that fear and that, like, you know, I have social anxiety and stuff anyway. So for me, lockdown has kind of been a bit, you know, a bit of a chance to relax and it's taken that away until everyone started Zooming and then, you know, they all came back. Um, But it's almost like you do feel guilty, you know. We've spent this whole year being like, I can't wait to get out and do all this normal stuff. And you're like, why do I feel scared about it? And that's so true. We've been told for the last year, this is bad. You need to do this. You need to stay in. It's not safe. And now all of a sudden that's going to switch. And there is that pressure, I suppose. But I think more people will be feeling like that than we think. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. I mean, if you look at the stats, like one in four, one in five people struggle with an anxiety disorder, which is when anxiety is so consuming and it affects our lives. 
And so that existed before the pandemic. You yeah. know? So coming out of the pandemic, it's going to show. But what I, t- I mean, I'm nervous. I'm one of the country's leading experts on anxiety disorders, and I'm nervous. You know, my, my friends are like, I can't wait to see you in the pub. I'm like, I can't wait to see you too. But, you know, like, I'm going to take it a bit easy. And I'm very open yeah. and honest about my anxieties. I'm, you know, I don't see it as weakness or anything like that, you know. And so what I say to people is like, that's absolutely fine, whether it's social anxiety, whether it's agoraphobia, whether it's you're fearing fear, fearing panic, fearing panic around socializing, <laughs> you know? mm. fearing panic away from your home, fearing how you feel, also fearing judgment. You know, if you're fearing judgment, again, that's your amygdala, that's your threat response. And that's okay to feel. Lo- Honestly, so many people are experiencing mm. this right now. You're not alone with it. And you mentioned agoraphobia quite a few people messaged in and they've said that they're nervous about being in crowds again and they're not sure how to cope with that and what should they do? Really? Well, as someone who's had agoraphobia, I didn't leave the house for a year at one point. Um, wow. Now I gallivant around annoying everyone at every possible <laughs> opportunity. Um, agoraphobia starts with an anxiety attack. So you could be anywhere. Mine was at work. I was making a cup of tea and suddenly I was hit by this wave of doom and fear. From nowhere, I was making a cup of tea. The tea wasn't that bad, you know, <laughs> just, but I was struck by this sense of fear and doom and terror. And my reality looked really strange. A symptom now I now know is derealization. It's called derealization, depersonalization. People need to talk about it more because loads of people experience it, yet no one really talks about it. And that's when I, I was stood in this room, in the staff room. I used to be a teacher. And I was looking around going, I don't feel here. I feel like something really bad is going to happen. My heart is racing. People's faces look weird. People look concerned. I've gone really pale, paler than I already am. And I've gone, whoa, what is wrong with me? And then so I went home. I had a panic attack. I didn't know it was a panic attack. I just thought I'd never even heard of the word anxiety before. So I went home and eventually I calmed. And my agoraphobia started then. Because mm-hmm. I taught the amygdala again, the brain. If you want to impress your friends at parties, use this word, the amygdala, because that's what is in charge of your anxiety. And what happened was I was terrified that if I'd have stayed outside of my safe zone, I wouldn't cope. So I went home and waited until I felt better, which is the worst thing you can do with anxiety. But I didn't know this for a year. So I just stayed inside, waiting for it to go away, trying to work it out. And ultimately, I was struggling really bad with agoraphobia because all agoraphobia is, is a fear of fear. It's a fear of how you'll cope. So if you're like worried about going out again, socializing, going to gigs, just walking in the park even. For me, I couldn't even walk to Asda, the bravest thing I've ever done in my life. And I've done some brave stuff, you know, conventionally brave stuff that, you you know, that people on the gap year will be impressed with. I've done that. (laughs) But the bravest thing I've ever done was with agoraphobia, walk to Asda and buy some milk because I had to face that fear. And um, that's okay. If, if you've got agoraphobia, try not to avoid because anxiety can't hurt you. It's just adrenaline. Mm. It's just cortisol. And the thoughts are just thoughts. Okay. And a lot of people are scared about going back to work. I know from like my friends, you know, the thought of getting back on the tube and, and going back into an office, you know, like, you know, you've not done that for a whole year. How can you like, I don't know, prepare, can you prepare yourself for that? Or do you just have to just do it? I mean, it's the latter, to be honest, Frankie, it's, you've got to do it, but you've got to do it with an attitude of compassion. 
I, I often hear, oh, I forced myself to do something. Why force yourself when you can encourage yourself to do something? You know, oh, I just stuck through it. I white knuckled my way through it. Well, no, you can do it. You've got to give yourself permission. And I say this to all my clients and people who follow me on social media and stuff. They're like, what do I do? What are your tips and tricks? I was like, the biggest tips and tricks I give you is that allow yourself to be anxious for a week because that's what's supposed to happen. You don't criticize yourself for getting anxious before an interview, which is the unknown. You don't criticize yourself for getting anxious before a first date, which is the unknown. You don't criticize yourself getting anxious before your wedding day, which is the unknown. Yet this is the unknown and people criticize themselves from it. They compare themselves to a societal norm. Like, oh, mm. why am I feeling anxious? I used to do this at loads, loads and loads. It's like, well, things have been a bit different. Perhaps consider that. Yeah, that's true. Someone said, what should I do if I feel a panic attack coming on? Ooh, so here's the thing. And I'm a bit of a hypocrite because all of my books are about panic attacks. And yet <laughs> at the end of it, I say, there's no such thing as a panic attack. Now, I've been diagnosed with panic disorder, which is basically experiencing panic attacks over and over and over and over and over again. And you know you're having a panic attack when you just feel like you're about to die. You're about to lose control, really. Uh, go crazy. That's one I hear a lot. Uh, what if I have a heart attack? Stuff, things like that. I've, I've had them all. All as fun as the previous. <laughs> and um, what happens is the, the amygdala, the threat response again, gets confused and thinks you're in imminent danger. And so it releases so much adrenaline, like the same amount of adrenaline, say before you're about to perform Frankie or something like that, you must get that adrenaline, like, whoa. Mm. But when you're not expecting it, it's pretty overwhelming. So I said to you before about my first, had my first panic attack in, in work. I wasn't expecting it, I was making a cup of tea. So all a panic attack is, is when we misinterpret that adrenaline because adrenaline makes your heart race. It makes, you can't catch your breath. <gasps> you know, you have all the what if thoughts. What if this, what if I go crazy? What if people see me? What if I humiliate myself? You know, you have all the sensations, uh, you have the visual distortions, everything looks weird. I must be going crazy, stuff like that. This is all fine. It's normal. And mm -hmm. once the adrenaline has been released, it takes about 10 minutes, 20 minutes to go around your body and then it gets released. So if you're having anxiety, my biggest tip, and if you're having panic, my biggest tip is do not avoid. You can tolerate it. Don't mm -hmm. enjoy, you're not going to enjoy it. I never, no one enjoys a panic attack. But if you start fighting it, if you start trying to do deep breathing exercises, which a lot of other psychotherapists don't like me for this because I don't really advocate doing anything. If you do a lot of um, deep breathing and start fighting it and trying to withstand it, you're telling your anxious brain, the amygdala, the threat response, that panic itself is dangerous. And so you're going to start fearing panic attacks. Mm. Don't fear panic attacks. You've got it. And once you tolerate it, and this is what I had to do at ASDA, really fun story. I'm in ASDA having a panic attack, thinking that, <laughs> thinking that people were going to come and take me away. Genuinely, I thought that the white coats are coming. I'd done it. I finally broken my brain. I mean, it was just a panic attack and just tolerated it. And by the time I'd left ASDA, I was like, that's brilliant. Mm. Also, as there is anxiety inducing. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I always say that with panic attacks. Like, I find if I fight it off or if I 
I find I have a panic attack if I'm pushing my anxiety down. If I'm trying to ignore my anxiety and I'm pushing it away, it's going to come out at some point. And I find then once I've, you know, while you're in your panic attack, you're panicking that you're having a panic attack, which, you know, always counterproductive and it just makes it worse. But I find like once you've accepted it and you just kind of let it happen, you come out of it so much quicker than if you were trying to push it away. It's going to happen. I feel like you need to accept, you know, if you're anxious, it's going to happen at some point. And then you're just shattered afterwards. That's what I hate about them, is it's like it takes so much energy that afterwards you're just like, (laughs) ugh. (laughs) Well, you're having a week's worth of adrenaline being pumped through you, so it is time. Do you ever get the post-panic yawns? Yeah, Yeah, so So I always say that to people. Trying to get all the oxygen (laughs) back in. yeah just yawning away they're like you know am i boring you josh like no i've just been having an internal anxiety attack thinking i'm about to die and now it's passed i'm just yawning uh no you're absolutely right acceptance or if you don't Mm. like acceptance i use the term willful tolerance because no one wants to accept something that feels rubbish you know no no, you know if i come over and kick you in the shins and tell you to accept it you're going to be like no this hurts and it's horrible so, but you can tolerate it, you know, like I willfully tolerate this panic or you can reframe the word panic attack to something more accurate. I'm having an adrenaline rush when I don't want it, mm. but it's just adrenaline. And that's, that does make it sound less scary. Yeah. Well, nothing's attacking you. Have you ever been attacked by panic? <laughs> <Well>. <laughs> okay. No, sorry. I, I withdraw the not. question. <laughs> <laughs> um, A lot of people are saying, which I think has been the biggest thing that has added to people's anxiety is the not knowing, you know, not knowing what's coming next. How can you take control of your life again? Because the reason I get so anxious about these big announcements every time they happen, and I don't realise I am anxious about them until just before. And I've kind of realised it's because I'm waiting for someone else to tell me how I can live my life. It's weird. It's a weird situation. So how do you kind of make yourself feel like you're taking that control back, I suppose? That's a good question. And the answer in short terms is compassion and self-reassurance. Now, I'm not going to go too deep because it's a podcast, but everyone grows up with some model of reassurance, okay, or a lack of. So, and this is where the psychotherapy side comes in. So, Let's say I grew up and let's say I didn't really have a lot of emotional reassurance from my parents or people around me. I'm not then, I haven't had the skill taught to me that I can self-soothe, self-regulate, calm myself, reassure. If my parents are really strict, like, you know, you've got to achieve this, get all A's, then, you know, I'm going to learn a lesson there that, okay, in order to function, I need to be perfect. Otherwise, they don't believe I can cope. You know, if I'm growing up and I see my siblings around me becoming emotional and then then being criticized for that, I might then learn that it's not okay to be emotional. And these are called introjections. It's another fancy word you can say at parties that no one will listen to you for. Uh, Great at parties. And um, (laughs) you sound like a blast. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, great. we're all lizards okay mate. we're all yeah another conspiracy guy get out uh yeah um but yeah no and um so what we can do is even if you haven't had the ideal 
Brady Bunch childhood, you know, where you're rewarded for everything and taught that you can function. You can still do that now. You can learn self-compassion. And here's the thing. I'll ask you, Frankie, how you speak to yourself, is that the same as how you'd speak to a friend who was anxious and worried? Absolutely not. It's weird that one, isn't it? It's a bit like, yeah. <laughs> and I'm the same. I'm I'm talking. I'm pontificating here, but I'm the same. If someone's having an anxiety, beating themselves up. I genuinely, wholeheartedly believe in my friends and my loved ones, and be like, you don't realize how great you are and how strong you are, you know. And then it comes to me, and I don't I don't load the dishwasher properly. I'm like, Josh, you're a failure. What are you doing? <laughs> Obviously, and then I step back and go, I'm not a failure. I mean, mm. look how far I've come. I'm doing all right. But it's that pausing, stepping back and talking to yourself like you talk to a friend that's so important with anxiety because it's literally soothing. If I followed you around all day, that would be weird. But if I followed you around all day talking to you like you talk to yourself, that's going to make you anxious. So imagine mm-hmm. the power of your own voice talking to yourself like that. The kind of telling yourself, I suppose, that you can control your own life and how you feel about it in a way yeah but saying it with conviction it's all good sitting there going i'm enough i'm great look at me it doesn't it's not gonna land is it you know like mm-hmm. you know you look great josh you look great <laughs> yeah it doesn't quite work if you just repeat a man it's not quite a mantra it's a skill mm. it's, it's literally detaching and going i'm just gonna pretend like i'm my friend for a second i'm gonna pretend like i'm my best friend and what would i say And it's practice. Because another thing with anxiety that tags along with agoraphobia, tags along with panic attacks, tags along with all that, is low-level esteem-based anxiety, which not many people talk about. But I do, because I'm, like you said, I'm the annoying guy at the party. And I was going to ask you, how many times do you say to yourself a day, I should? Hmm. A lot. <laughs> how many how many things on that to-do list kind of need to be there or don't really need to be there? Yeah, probably not many of them. Yeah, I mean, you've got to put the bins out. You know, we need to do mm, that. Actually, Wayne has to do that. <laughs> oh, he's useful That's then. That's on his should list. <laughs> yeah, he's... <laughs> Does he do it? <laughs> yeah, otherwise they wouldn't get done. <laughs> We're accumulating trash, right? Um, yeah, but so there's things on your should, should list, to-do list that kind of need to be there. But then there's also stuff on our to-do list that's put there by anxiety, low-level anxiety. I'm not talking panic attack in a field anxiety. I'm talking that simmering I feel on edge for no reason, so I need to feel productive anxiety, which in lockdown has gone bananas for me. I can't just sit there and watch some rubbish on TV because I've got this simmering anxiety like, you should do this, you should do that. You know, you should organize the cupboard. I don't need to organize the cupboard. Learn Learn Spanish. Learn Spanish, yeah. We all download (laughs) Duolingo, get to day four, and then throw our phone against the wall because we realize (laughs) we've not done it. And then that little Duolingo bird comes up and starts hurling abuse at us for not being good enough. (laughs) And it's like, oh, fine, leave me alone. But yeah, that's actually low-level anxiety. 
Mm. Uh, and I think a lot of people have felt that, that, haven't they? I feel like first lockdown, everyone was like, right, we've all got to be super productive. I'm going to grow my own vegetables. I'm going to learn a language. I'm going to do this. And then like by second lockdown, I think everyone was a bit more chilled and a bit more like, okay, that didn't really work out for me. And then third lockdown, I think that's what everyone's found the hardest because we're like, God, we're still here you know, I didn't achieve any of the things I told myself I should achieve in the first two lockdowns. Oh, I can't do it. I'm tired. I'm this. I, I'm totally talking from, from myself here. <laughs> but I know like all my friends have felt the same, like, you know, and, that, and then I think we have beaten ourselves up for pretty much a year for not achieving things. Yeah. And, and yet, if you twist it on its head and make things more accurate, like, People perceive lockdown as a holiday, a free pass, free time. But actually, the impact it has on us sociologically has been tremendous. And again, our threat responses, our anxiety has gone up a few notches. Your biggest achievement that you've made through lockdown is that you're sat here and, you've, and you're here. You're resilient. You've got through mm. it. You know, you've not killed your family, I hope. You're <laughs> still here. Your head's still on your shoulders. I think yeah. that's remarkable. And if anyone's listening, you know, if you're resonating a bit with what kind of Frankie and I are saying about, you know, oh, I should have achieved more, I should be a black belt in karate or whatever. Nah, the only should that you needed to achieve was getting through it. And we're almost there. So fair play to you. And what about health anxiety? Because I think that's a really big one. Like a couple of people said, you know, they feel like they're a germaphobe now and they're really, you know, their health anxiety is really heightened. And that's going to be a big thing, isn't it? And that comes with having to be back in crowds again, being back in offices, going in shops. Like, are we, you know, we don't know yet. Are we still going to have to wear masks? And are we all going to be carrying hand sanitizer around with us for... The rest of, I mean, I did that anyway, so I was quite proud of myself because I already had a cupboard full of um, <laughs> hand sanitizer when everyone was rushing to buy it. I was like, you all laughed at me, and now look. Look, <laughs> look at me. <laughs> um, but I think that's going to be quite a big thing, isn't it, that people are going to be so nervous about getting sick or touching yeah. things. And I was in before it was cool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, come on. <laughs> with, with your one-litre alcohol gel walking around. I was, that was a nightmare. <laughs> um, Love it. Yeah, I mean, health anxiety is one that I've struggled with in the past. Not helped by things like grief. I've lost people to illness and stuff who are too young, and that taps into an anxiety, a health anxiety too. But, yeah, you're right. A pandemic, a virus, it exacerbates anxiety for a lot of people. Now, here's the thing. It could be about germs and the virus itself. So my clients with OCD, remember when I said everyone's anxiety has gone up a few notches, people with already with OCD, since the pandemic has kicked in, has it's really, really affected them. And, you know, I've had to work with quite a lot of people with OCD about those compulsions. So yeah, you know, I wash, I don't want to poison my family. I don't want to make my family ill. I don't want to make me ill. But also the anxiety that the pandemic has triggered starts other compulsions that have nothing to do with the virus. And that's really important to know because I get people who've come to me who've started with kind of strange anxiety since the start of the pandemic, but nothing to do with the pandemic. So like mm. compulsive plug checking and 
loads of compulsive behaviors, intrusive thoughts, which is a big one. And one of the big ones is health anxiety. So people that are worried about getting the virus themselves. I mean, I don't know about you, but how many times have I not caught my breath and gone, got it, I've got the virus, you know, there we go. Or get a hot flush, got the virus, it's done, I'm here. Yeah. You know, get me some paracetamol, I'm in for the long run. Ten minutes later, I'm fine. But also, it's triggered other health anxiety. People are worried about their heart. People worried about their sanity. What if this anxiety makes me lose my mind? What if it triggers a psychological condition that's been laying dormant? What if I've got some serious condition like cancer or neurological condition, etc.? And with health anxiety, what's the most common compulsion with health anxiety? Go on, do you know it? <laughs> no, cleaning your hands? No. no? It's called, it's asking Dr. Google. Oh, it, Googling things, of course. <laughs> are you guilty of that? Which is the worst that? thing to do. Uh, yeah, sometimes. You know what? Mainly for my kids, less for me now. But, yeah, it always goes straight to, oh, I've got a headache. That's it. You've got a brain tumour. You know, it's, it's literally that, isn't it? It's not yeah, good. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. And Googling, try not to Google, you know, because mm-hmm. when you, with people with health anxiety, when you're anxious your threat response is going off so there's that lizard part of your brain that's scanning for threats it's the oldest part of our brain that our ancestors used to scan for threats like saber-toothed tigers lions cheetahs whatever but it doesn't understand that when you're on google trying to find reassurance for your symptom Mm. it's not interested in the rational side of this web page it's interested in the danger so frankie's headache is an aneurysm my stomach ache is stomach cancer. Mm. You know, it's only going to fixate on the horrible scenario and not the most likely. And I bet mm. people that have done that will resonate with that. And I've spent hours on Google wasting my time. And I, and I guess it's probably mm. been worse in the pandemic because you can't just go to the GP maybe like you would normally or or ring them or whatever and ask them a question. You've had to do it more from home. So it's kind of been building up and getting worse over the year. Yeah, It's a really good point, yeah. A couple of people said, and I have felt this way, that they constantly feel tired and exhausted. So, like, then the thought of having to go back to being as busy as we were before, how are we physically going to be able to do that? And why do we feel so tired and exhausted all the time in lockdown? Um, Tiredness, lethargy, fatigue. Think about it. So if we're anxious, that low-level anxiety I was talking to you about, if you've ever felt on edge and you're feeling on edge every day because of this pandemic, like something bad's going to happen, but I don't know what. So I'll just stay on alert just in case something bad does happen. And if nothing bad happens, I'll just keep myself productive as a way to use all this energy. When we're low-level anxiety, there's a chemical called cortisol, which is our stress hormone that pumps around our system. And it's a helpful hormone to help us scan for dangers. So if you think about our ancestors walking along the Serengeti, casually chatting, they're actually in a state of high alert, you know? So if you're in the desert, you're in the jungle thousands of years ago, you need to have adrenaline and cortisol, mostly cortisol pumping around your system to keep you in a state of alert because there's loads of dangers around. You know, I don't want a snake to jump out of the tree and start killing me. I don't, sorry, my imagination gets carried away. (laughs) Uh, You know, so... Because I'm human, I'm not very good at running or fighting a lion. What's really helpful for me is to constantly stay one step ahead. 
So I'm looking on the horizon for lions. I'm looking far away in the trees for um for snakes and spiders and stuff. I am ready for the threat. Now, exactly the same process happens to you and I and people listening and people at home throughout the pandemic is that we're in this ex exact same state of threat because we're not allowed to live our lives like we like want to. We've been conditioned to think that there's danger. And so cortisol, you know, more, more helpful facts for your party appearance. Cortisol is pumping through your system. It's making your muscles tense. Your heart's beating faster than usual. Your jaws probably locks shut. Your face is scrunched. Your digestion has to work harder. It's got to process all the cortisol and adrenaline. And if it's a panic, that takes up a lot of energy. And so no wonder you're tired and groggy in the morning and feel that sense of doom and dread. And no wonder you're exhausted when it comes to tea time. You've been looking forward to watching that show all day and you fall asleep halfway through it. It's completely normal because you have to process all that cortisol. I've never thought of it like that. I suppose your body's always working on overtime, isn't it, for how for like the last year? So no wonder you're tired. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, and, and this ties into compassion. You've dealt with that for a year. You should be proud of yourself. Not oh, mm. why haven't I learned Mandarin? And then lastly, is last question, which I think is going to be a big issue, and I'm sure you'll agree. What advice would you have for nurses that are developing PTSD? I suppose that's quite a specific and difficult thing to answer. <laughs> I, I mean, as someone who's had his fair share of PTSD and trauma, first of all, I mean, fair play for being on the front there and seeing that. Yeah. You know, because nurses aren't just practical in the sense that they're administering medicine and stuff like that. They're being people's counselors, they're being people's therapists, and some with a lot of people the closest thing to them particularly during yeah. lockdown and being with people the last days of their life absolutely admire nurses so much um trauma can be worked with trauma and ptsd can be worked with with a professional and make sure and i'm hoping that this is the case but systematically in the nhs request some trauma specialists to work with there's loads of trauma treatments out there the, one of the main ones, though, is talk about it. Talk about it. If you've got a good friend, talk about it to them. If you haven't mm -hmm. got a good friend, talk about it with a good counsellor um, and have a space for you to talk about it. Don't just dig your heels in and get on with it. Mm. And, and I, we all admire you for doing that. But the longer you leave kind of trauma, it just kind of lingers there like, a, like an unwanted smell. It's like, oh, you know, and it, and it sticks around. But when you face it, it's like, okay, I need to work through this now because there's different types of trauma. You can literally yeah. have memories, but also just grief, grief. I imagine so that it's one of those ones that if, if you are a nurse and you've been going through that for however long over the pandemic, it must be hard to know who to talk to. Obviously, a professional is the best, but friends wise, I suppose you would feel a bit like, well, my friends that aren't nurses, they're not going to get it. You know, they're not going to understand. They haven't had to see the things or deal with the things that I've dealt with. But then equally talking to another nurse or doctor, be, being worried that you're putting your, you know, issues onto someone who's got their own issues. So it must feel really isolating. Well, my advice, and I loved this when I was going through my own trauma and anxieties and things like that, is there's different types of counsellors and people don't, it's not really highly accessible 
You know, if you go to the NHS, you give them some CBT on your way. But there's different types of therapy. And I really like person-centered therapy. And that's basically a room with someone who's super cool at listening. And you can talk about anything you want. And they remember. And they reflect. And then it stays in that room. And it's weird at first. Because I walked in, I'm like, oh, I don't want to burden you with my problems, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You know, six months later, I'm walking out with a smile on my face going, how liberating it is to have a room in my life where I can talk and it get it off my chest and the person actually cares and they remember and for me that was just amazing because you're right I didn't I didn't really want to bring it up I didn't want to turn up to my mate's party and be like hey I'm suffering from trauma I want to talk about it no you just don't yeah. you don't want to do that you know but I love person-centered counseling. In fact, I love it so much. I studied it. I did my master's in it. And I've studied a lot of things, but I just, I love that the power of just listening properly and being heard and feeling seen is, is what I try to convey with what I do as well, to be honest. Hmm. Mm. Um, okay. So what I asked these questions to everyone, what would your top three tips be then for anyone listening that is worried about coming out of lockdown? Number one is boundaries. Really important. Learning to say no, not trying to do everything at once. Boundaries in the sense that I can only do what I can manage at the moment and build up slowly. Boundaries in the sense of say, you know, not just nodding your head to everyone and saying, do this, do that. Boundaries, having your own personal time. When you, you come out of lockdown, particularly as a parent, Frankie, you're going to need your own personal time too, where you sit and you rest and relax. And that's so important for anxiety as well, because it teaches the brain, the amygdala, that I'm safe, it's okay, and it brings the body back to balance. Uh, so yeah, personal boundaries, saying no, sometimes learning that that's okay, not doing everything at once, not burning the candle at both ends. Uh, mm -hmm. Number two is learn that it's okay not to be 100%. No one is. And if you're 100% coming out, I'd be more worried if you're 100% coming out of lockdown than I were. Like, yeah, you know, I'm fine. I've done it. So learn that it's 100% not to be okay, you know. And my third tip for the anxious folk out there, you know, I'm with you. I'm one of you. I'm part of you. It's absolutely okay to be anxious. It's just adrenaline. It's just cortisol. You can tolerate it you can willfully tolerate not being 100%. Now, we've all heard the slogan, it's okay not to be okay. But generally, adopt that when it comes to anxiety and depression and stuff like that. Expect not to feel like you'd want to. And when you mm -hmm. expect something, it doesn't throw you off guard. So they're the three ones that I do. I'm not really a tips-heavy person because mm -hmm. when you start doing tips and techniques, you're telling the brain it's not okay to be anxious. But yep. I'm the opposite. Like, it's all right, you can do it. <laughs> mm -hmm. and then where can uh, any listeners go if they want to find out any more information or get any more help the main source that people can find me on is anxiety josh on instagram i've only been on for nine months and that's exploded because i just like to drop loads of tips and make people feel seen said you didn't like tips yeah well that can be edited out <laughs> sorry i had to <laughs> <clears throat> You can catch me on Instagram at Anxiety Josh, where you can find some really helpful information to help you well and reassure you. <laughs> Thank you so much. I feel like you have like a really normal way of talking about anxiety and stuff, which is, is nice. You know, I think it's easier for people to take that information in and to feel 
more normal whatever that is you know and to not make it sound confusing thanks joshua thank you Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Open Mind Self-Care Sessions. I really do hope that this has been helpful to you. If you've been affected by this episode or would like to find out any more information regarding mental health, then please head over to mind.org.uk. If you have any questions which you'd like to get answered, then please follow me on Instagram and look out for my stories where I collect all of your fantastic thoughts for each episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.